we're going to talk about turning on the light. And uh, we probably should have talked about turning on the uh, PowerPoint. But first thing in the morning, what does God do first thing? Anybody know what God does first thing in the morning? Turns the light on. Because did you wake up this morning and was the sun shining? Is the sun a big light? It's huge. It's a big light, yeah. So the first thing God does is turn the light on because the world sleeps in darkness. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And now this, where we're today, when you have your Bibles, we're going to go to John uh, chapter 8. Let's go to John chapter 8. We won't start exactly there right at the moment, but while, we're, while I'm talking to you and getting you ready here, then I flip to that chapter or put it up on your phone. Now, before, before chapter 8, Jesus was, Jesus was um, having a little interaction with his brothers. And his brothers didn't believe anything that Jesus said, by the way, at this time. They told him, why don't you go into, because there was a big feast going on in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, I'm not going to the feast. I'm not going to go there. And his brother said, well, if you're doing all these great miracles and all this um, preaching about, you know, the kingdom of God and all the things that you, you're doing in your life, why are you doing it in secret? Why don't you go there to the feast and tell everybody? Uh, Jesus said, because it's not my time yet. It's not my time yet. So then Jesus ended up, the brothers went, and the Bible says that Jesus went secretly Afterwards, he went without everybody knowing that he was going. So he was doing his secret. That night, he ended up staying in the Mount of Olives, and then the next morning, he got up. And then, that's where you end up on John chapter 8. And in that chapter, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He said, anyone that follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life to light your way. And his light will go ahead on the path before us so we can see how to live. And those that follow won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, which removes the darkness of sin from our life. The blood of Jesus removes the stain of sin from our lives. The light of life, it says, in, and we're going to read that the light of life is the light that leads us to the redemptive truth of God. The darkness can never extinguish it. The darkness can never overcome God's light. His light, it shows us what we really are. His light shows us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. So like I was talking about earlier, I said, God turned the light on every morning, He turns the light on. 
natural light wakes us up, gets us through our normal every single day, and then in its absence, we end up going into our nightly slumber and we go to sleep. The way it works. Light, light rays strike the cells in our eyes, in the retina, go into the retina, and it strikes the nerve signals, which end up sending a message to the brain, which end up processing an image. And we need the light of God to strike the nerve cells of our heart to send a message to our heart and to our brain to process the image of God. Now, what is the image of God? In Colossians 1, chapter 15, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when God's light strikes you, the image that is going to be processed in your life and in your mind and in your heart is the image that you see. And his name is Jesus. So we don't have a PowerPoint yet. Oh, that's good. Well, anyway, John 8, 12. I didn't even bring my Bible. I should have probably brought it. The Holy Ghost said you should take your Bible. I said, that's all right. I got it on PowerPoint. <laughs> all right. So anyway, look. I, seriously. Ooh, there it is. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Hallelujah. Somebody should start getting excited. Jesus is alive. Now, let's turn to and do our scripture reading. But I want you to imagine what we talked about Jesus. Imagine now we're going to the temple. So think about well, even if you have to actually close your eyes, I want you to imagine that and place yourself here in this story. Who's interacting with you? What's surrounding you? The walls of the temple, the noises of the people, what are you hearing? What have you been touching? What have you been doing? What are you seeing? What are you smelling? And what are you sensing? And verse 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself and your witness is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. 
For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke while in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So the Bible says that the world is in darkness. In darkness, you can't see in front of you, you can't see behind you, you can't see to the left, you can't see to the right. You don't even know what danger is there. Matter of fact, this morning I reminded myself that I couldn't even put my slippers on in the darkness. You know, I have to go like, oh, is that the right foot or the left foot? You can't do anything in the darkness. It's no wonder God turns the light on in the morning. And if you ever are in a dark room, you better know where the light switch is because it makes it a lot easier. Makes it a lot easier. You don't know who's there. You don't know if you even have an enemy there. I was watching the news the other night and I saw a lot of darkness. And I said, Lord, what, what should we do? But how should we even pray for the world anymore? How do we pray about all these situations? What should I pray? And the darkness, it can feel overpowering and downright scary. It's a terrifying thing to walk around in the darkness outside in the middle of the night. Horrible. My wife was just telling me she, she, she waited outside for 15 minutes in her car in the dark. And she said, that was quite a, a fearful process. Just being in the dark. You don't know. You don't know. But there is, like we said, God has one son for the world. And there is one savior for the world. There's no others needed. It would be a dark dungeon without the sun, wouldn't it? And it would be a dark dungeon, spiritually speaking, if we don't know the light of God, who is Jesus. Now, I was fascinated because the science explorer did an interesting experiment. I don't know how much money they paid, but it was very interesting. It's called Isolation in the Dark drives humans to the brink of insanity. You can look it up. They studied the effects of isolation, loneliness, and darkness on two scientists who stayed in a dark, lightless cave, not together, they were in separate caves, but separately, one for 88 days and the other was in there for 126 days in pitch, lightless darkness. Now, if you look into Psalm 90, it tells you that you live 25,562 days. 
And if you're fortunate enough or strong enough, you get 29,200 days. So uh, 88 days is not a long time to live in darkness. And the people are living in darkness all those thousands of days. That's a serious situation. Because the first thing that happened that they noticed was that they lost all sense of time. And if the world's living in darkness, they don't know what time it is on God's cosmic clock regarding the return of Jesus Christ. They don't know that He's coming soon. They can't see it. They lost all sense of time, those scientists in those caves. The secondly, the subjects thought that they were having a nap. And guess how long they were sleeping? 30 to 48 hours. And they woke up. And they said, I just had a little nap. And in Matthew chapter 13 it says, And while they slept, the enemy came and sowed tares with the wheat. While they were sleeping. Thirdly, gets more and more serious here. They were emotionally out of control. And they were suffering hallucinations. Matter of fact, there was one of them that actually suffered psychological wounds that still need counseling to this very day. After 126 days in pitch darkness, a scientist needs counseling today. Now, guess what the conclusion was after the experiment? I love it. I love it when scientists put a heap of money into something to figure out something. Light is required. <laughs> Humans lead, need humans need light and and interaction to stay sane. That was the big revelation to them. Because without light, there's physical deficiencies. There's a lack from the lack of vitamin D. We know that if you're not in the sun, you get a deficiency in vitamin D. You get weak bones. You get depression. You have heart troubles. There's tuberculosis, there's Alzheimer's, there's dementia, there's a loss of energy, there's a lack of interest in enjoyable activities. There's oversleeping, feelings of hopelessness, and other things um, too numerous to mention. So let's start at verse 12 here. Jesus is the world's light. Now, Jesus was the world's light. We go to verse 12. Let's go to verse 12 if we can. If it works. Work. <laughs> Doesn't matter, you have it anyway. Can't take time for that now right at this moment. Jesus is the world's light before the world began. Now, the concept is difficult to understand because uh, even Isaac Newton, who discovered gravity in the 
well, in the late 1600s. He actually thought time was eternal. And it wasn't until 200 years later when, in the early 1900s, when Einstein came up with his theory of special and, and general work. And general and special relativity. And he combined that with a few other discoveries made, like cosmic background radiation and a few other things. And then he actually realized that time was actually woven into the fabric of space. Now, if you don't understand Einstein's theory of relativity, don't worry, you're not alone. Okay? Because it actually it was only in the 1960s when we understand the quasars, we under started understanding the uh, microwave radiation, we understand the pulsars, and it wasn't, it wasn't until actually 1981 when, when the world was first introduced to the famous black hole. So we know all this stuff now. So in the last 50, 60 years, things have been accelerating. And if you read the book of Daniel, it says, In the last times, travel and knowledge will be greatly increased. In the last days. There is so much knowledge. I was listening to a scientist tell me, I have so much knowledge, I can't understand it all. And all the whole scientific community of the world can't process it all. It's too much. The airplanes are going left, right, and center. Anybody have the airplane app? The tracking app. Take a look. Earthquakes are going off the record. I was looking at the earthquake stats. They're all over the place. In the darkness, people couldn't see. They had no idea what time it was. So, 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20. A long time ago, God was making provisions and preparations for our redemption. 1 Peter 1, 18-20. Now, unfortunately, it's not up there. I'm really getting frustrated with that. Anybody else? Thank you. Let's do that. Let's go. 1 Peter 1, 18-20. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of the life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Ah, thank you. And somebody else find Second Timothy one nine. Let's spend some time together talking here. So, what does the verse say? That all this was done before the beginning of time. 2 Timothy 1.9. Anybody? He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Again. Before time began, Christ was the light of the world. And today, during the existence of the world, Christ is the light of the world. We have the crucifixion of Jesus. 
We have the resurrection of Jesus. And he is the light that leads us to the forgiveness of God for our sins. He leads us to holiness. He leads us to justice, goodness, loving kindness. All the great things, faithfulness, deliverance, freedom. All the things that we need in order to be happy, in order to be sane. We need that light. And the best part about it, you can grow in all of those. You can grow in love. You can grow in forgiveness. You can grow in all those things, but we can never ever grow in righteousness because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can't get any more righteous. As a matter of fact, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can actually go into your conscience and remove the stain of sin. It's the only thing in the whole world that can do that. The psychologists, they, they, they give you a little, you know, little medicine maybe and help you out, talk to you a bit. But they can't seem to find out how to get rid of that guilt, how to get rid of the shame. Matter of fact, how in the world did Apostle Paul, who actually killed Christians, Say that he's free. How? How could he do all that stuff that he did, that we know about that he did, and then turn around and write half the New Testament with a guilt-free conscience? Because he understood that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All. Revelations. Jesus is the light of the world after the world. Revelations 22, 12 and 17. Does anybody want to volunteer to read that? Revelations chapter 22, 12 through 17. Go ahead, Christy. Nice and loud. 22-12. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to the throne. I am the bright morning star. Thank you. That's good. Point is, is that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He was the light of the world before creation. He's the light of the world during creation. And once he comes back and God wraps it all up, he will be the light of the world again. He's our light. 
So my question is this, do your individual choices make any difference? After all this understanding and all this scripture, yes, your echo in eternity is absolutely shaped by what you do in this life. Your echo in eternity is shaped by what you do in this life. So the question again is, what drives you? Matthew, uh, Jesus tells us that, Matthew 6, he tells us that, we don't focus on things of the earth. Store up treasures in heaven. In other words, he says, use your life here, your temporary life, in order to establish yourself in things that last in eternity. You can use temporary things to gain eternal rewards. And while I'm coming with my reward is with me to give every man according to what he's done. So verse 13, it says, let's go move on here because I'm going to just wrap this up pretty quickly because we're a little bit late here with all the little delays. Uh, verse 13 says, well, they said, you can't talk about yourself. And you wonder, well, well, since when can't you speak for yourself? Well, in Deuteronomy 19.15, it says that two must agree and only then the witness to be accepted as the fact and it fulfills the law. And the purpose of the law and the purpose of this particular law was to provide conclusive truth of reality. This was the conclusive truth of reality. Two or three people said it, it's got to be true. It's good because in those days, when an ambassador came from another country, that they had the court that he was sent to had no way of knowing if his testimony was true or not, because only that person that was sent was the only one who knew what the sovereign that sent him had in mind. He was the only one who heard the instructions, and the only thing that they could demand was that they, that he give evidence of his credentials that he was sent, that he was the one. And Jesus did this by his doctrines, and Jesus did this by his miracles. And then in verse 14, it says this, even if I, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Guess why? Blind people cannot see light. He was right in front of them. You can shine a light in a blind person's eye, they can't see a thing. He and only he was the only one who ever came in human form that knew where he came from, who knew the issue of his life, and they didn't know anything about him. The religious rulers, they didn't know anything. Only Jesus knew what the sovereign God told him, and, it, and you and I wouldn't know either unless he told us. We wouldn't know a thing about Jesus if it wasn't for the Bible. They didn't know his mission. It was a big secret to the world. They didn't know his mission. 
They didn't believe in his mission. They didn't even believe that he was going to heaven and basically they didn't value his testimony. They basically thought Jesus was a lunatic. They thought Jesus was a liar. But Jesus provided them with the third option. What's the third option? I am telling the truth. Right before their eyes, they didn't even see it. But only with an open mind can you see and will you ever know the truth that Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord? Verse 15, he says, he says, you judge me, but you judge me, you judge according to the flesh. And I don't judge anybody, Jesus says. Fleshly judgment, because the Pharisees' flawed worldview contributed really greatly to their inability to understand Jesus. They sat in this place of power. And they were always afraid that they were going to have their power taken away. They had to deal with the Roman Empire. They had to deal with their own King Herod. They had to deal with the, what was it, the Roman Emperor Tiberius. They had to deal with the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. They had to fight for every little bit of turf that they could get. And all they fought for were man-made traditions and man-made ideas. And which was in total contrast to what Jesus was teaching them about servanthood. Jesus taught them that they should be giving their life up for others. And meanwhile, all they could do was think about themselves and who they were. They were blind to the needs of others. Jesus, Jesus taught them that they were meant to be giving up their rights. And yet, they took great pride and said, We are the sons of Abraham. I'm the son of Abraham, don't tell me. You're supposed to be giving your rights up. Jesus taught them that their actions revealed who their true father was because the thing, Jesus, they argued and they debated with Jesus. You can argue and you can debate with Jesus, but you and them, you will never win against Jesus because Jesus knows the scriptures. Jesus knew the conclusive truth of reality was that God was with him and truth is truth. So truth is truth today for us that God is with us also. Now I'm going to tell you a couple of verses here. God is ever present, Psalm 91. God is all knowing, Psalm 139. God is all powerful, Psalm 147. And God has all authority, we find in Hebrews chapter 4. God is ever present, Psalm 91. God is all knowing, Psalm 139. All powerful, Psalm 147. God has all authority, Hebrews 4. Psalm 147 
is a massively amazing, amazing scripture because it says that God calls the stars, every one of them, by name. <laughs> Hello. Somebody's got to get happy about their God. Because he is big. He's ever present. Somebody look up Psalm 91. If they could, please. Uh, I just feel the Lord said, you got to read that scripture, Psalm 91. He's ever present. This has, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And when the enemy comes to you and says, God won't do it to you, you say, he will. Let's read Psalm 91. Does anybody have Psalm 91, verse 14 through 16? John 14, 6, and, and we find in verse 19, it says there, verse 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father, and if you knew me, you would know my father also. If you don't know Jesus, you're not going to know the father. And the opposite side of the equation is if you do know Jesus, you will know the Father. John 14, 6. And Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through So basically, these Pharisees, they were looking for technical grounds and blasphemy for Jesus, and they were trying to draw words out of him. And, you know, because one time he did tell them that my father's in heaven, which, of course, they wanted to kill him for that. But, you know, they had this, this vain imagination of God because they didn't want to know or learn about Christ. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. They were so carnal and so warped but Jesus was not intimidated by their contempt. He knew the only way to have a just view of God was through him. And he knew that no man is going to come to, to his dad. And we call him father, call him dad, call him God. No man is going to come to him except unless you acknowledge and receive and believe in him. He knew the Eternal Father wasn't known by anything other than that. He knew that. Now, verse 20 says that these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. 
But no one arrested him because his time had not yet come. So Jesus was in this court that they call the court of the women. And in that court, there was 13 boxes. And, and there were the offering boxes. Seven of them, of course, get this. Seven of them were for taxes. Six of them were for free will offerings. Sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? A little jab at the government tax and everything that we ever do. This is the same place that Jesus taught that profound lesson in Luke 21, where about the widow that gave more than all of them. Because Jesus was watching the people. Every box had a, had a mark said, this box is for this, that box is for that. And Jesus was watching and said, that lady, she gave more than all those people. She gave out of that, out of her. You can read it in Luke 21, just go on. Look, in that same place, there was candles burning there. In the court of the women is where they burnt all these candles. And the candles were to signify and to remind people about the presence, the pillar of fire that we find in Exodus chapter 13, about the presence of God. And it's in that context where Jesus was there looking, and he turned around and he said to them, I am the light of the world. Because the pillar of fire represented God's presence, represented God's protection, represented God's guidance. Likewise, Jesus brings God's protection. Jesus brings God's presence. And Jesus brings God's guidance. question is, is he the light of your world? So that was the most public place in the whole area. And, to, and Jesus taught there openly and fearlessly. And actually the Sanhedrin met the very same day in the next court over to figure out how they're going to kill him. And sometimes... When you feel like the enemy's there figuring out how he's going to kill you, you got to know Jesus is in the court right beside you. Right beside the enemy, Jesus was there. He wasn't afraid of them. And this wasn't an easy place to escape without some type of a miracle. But as time, the Bible says, as time had yet not come, and God restrained them, and this proves that God has power over wicked men to do and make them accomplish His own purposes. And our departure in this world depends upon God. It's appointed by God the Father, and no enemy can hasten it, and no friend can delay it. Men shall do nothing against Christ, or anything, or anyone that belongs unto Him, till the time comes that God has set in His wise and eternal thoughts, and we live and we die according to the pleasure of God, not man. Therefore, it is our duty and our responsibility to carry on and move forward in our calling. 
it behooves us to follow through with our Christian life. There's a sign, no wavering allowed. Do not waver in your faith. Believers, we can say with pleasure, my time is in God's hands and better than in His hands than my own because some of us can't even get to work on time. I actually struggle to get to church on time. How am I going to make a call when I'm supposed to be leaving school? Thank God that He has your life in His hands. To God's purposes, Brother Tim said this morning, to all God's purposes, there is a time. So when we're walking in the light and we're honest with God, and we're honest with ourselves and honest about our sin with Him, oh boy, I tell you what, there's nothing quite like the feeling of crying out repentance to God. And the reason is because when you sin, that God removes himself from that. But the Bible says that in, in Acts chapter 3 says that repent, turn from your sins, turn back to God, and God is going to send Jesus again. And Jesus is there till all this stuff, there's this huge big renovation project going on in God's world. It's called the restoration of all things and you can find it in Acts chapter thing, chapter 3. And when we're walking in the light, we have the freedom of Jesus. We have the understanding. We have insight. We have wisdom. We have joy, peace, love, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And don't forget you have to eat fruit. No point having a fruit bowl on the counter and letting it go rotten. You gotta eat that fruit. Holy Ghost gives it to you. And when you're in the light, you can see where you're going. You can even take others with you. Or walk in the light with you. He's our hope. He's the one who is restoring all things. And when you're trusting in Him and walking in the light each and every given day, you're participating with God in the process of restoring all things. He's a father. You're the child. It's not a father. It's a father-child relationship, not a childish one. It's a father-child relationship. And if you're walking in darkness and you're being crushed by the enemy, you find that your friendships are being flattened and you have all kinds of terrible things to do, there's a truth which is necessary to know in order to keep you from destroying errors that it's never too late to turn to God and have Him turn on the light. God hears you when you call. He loves you. And He will care for you. And today is still the day of opportunity. Never too late to ask God to turn on Not only is it going to change the way you walk, but it's also going to keep you from destroying what is precious. And I'll put it as simple as it's going to keep you from falling over, stubbing your toe on the couch, on the bedpost. 
He's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever, says in Hebrews 13. He is God, and may he bless us. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we understand the mysteries of your kingdom. Because you have enlightened our spirits, Lord, and daily we can walk in the light. Thank you for turning the light on this morning on the whole world and every morning. Since when you spoke and you said, let there be light, Lord, we pray that the, that, that light would be manifested in our lives. Jesus, we believe that you are the light of the world. Lord, we need you. We thank you, Lord, for being our light. And we also thank you, Lord, as your word says that, for making us the light of the world too. So thank you for our souls. Thank you for our bodies. Thank you for our lives. We look forward to the rest of the day and the rest of the week coming up give you the praise and we pray to give you the glory.